And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the athletic, dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, our live room where you set the conversation. Uh, happy you can be with us on a Thursday afternoon. The Washington Capitals are in town tonight. Obi and the gang are here. Uh, Blue Jackets in a bad way right now. They ended the their overall losing streak. I think it was seven games in a row. Yeah, it stopped at seven with the win over Chicago. Uh, but then they got back on the, the losing train uh, Tuesday in Ottawa. Just not a pretty sight, that game. I mean, losing is one thing. I, I, you know, it, it's a little, it gets a little worrying here, to be honest with you, because, you know, they went through that awful stretch earlier where it looked like everybody forgot how to play hockey. And then they got all the injuries, and then they started playing a little bit better, at least competitively. They didn't have the massive defensive breakdowns that they had the first few weeks of the season. The competitive spirit was there. That's what was worrisome about, I thought, the game in Ottawa. Is It was a pretty spirited first period, but the, the, the last two periods... There was not a lot of push or a lot of fight with the Blue Jackets. and Not really uh, very much smart hockey being played. Either way too many penalties. Many of them from being out of position, slow to the play, reaching, hooking, grabbing, tripping penalties. Um, not a flattering performance in, in any way. Not certainly in the result. They lose 4 nothing, but not in the competitive spirit that they showed. And you worry, we're not even halfway through the season yet. You worry where this is going. And on one hand, I, I know every game, every game they lose on on Twitter, there is a large fire Brad Larson contingent. And I don't think that's been a consideration uh, just because the season is so far gone. I think it's something that will be evaluated after the season. But I think you also have to be very, very careful if your management um, and, and let's not kid ourselves, this season is, is quite frankly, now it's about a player that's not even here yet, whether that's Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson or uh, Mitchkov, the, the Russian player that's supposed to go so early. 
that's where they're at this year. But I, I, you know, when the Blue Jackets set out to do this sort of restart, rebuild, re whatever, they made the decision not to bring it down to the wood because they they felt like they wanted to keep some form of culture in the room. And I worry about that in a season like this with some of the things that we're starting to see. Uh, it feels like all of the stuff that John Tortorella brought here, instilled here, and sort of taught some people here how to fly with that. A lot of those people have left, and, and sadly, I worry sometimes that the imprint they've made on this franchise has left as well. Uh, they have they got to be really careful because I, I know this is about getting a great player at this year's draft now. Not naive to that. Uh, but boy, you be careful what you create uh, with this. So we can talk about that. We can talk about uh, their goaltending. We can talk about anything you guys want to talk about. You set the conversation. Uh, got a bunch of people in here already, which is great to see. A reminder, if you want to ask a question, uh, Verbally, you can step to the queue and we'll bring you in. See a couple people there. If not, you can send a, a message on the app here as well. Uh, first message I see is from Donald Beast. Wonders Elvis tonight. Uh, that is the fact. That is the case. Elvis Merzlikens is back in net tonight. I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but I want to say this is his first game since December 11th. Uh, he's gotten quite a break here. I'm not sure this is the team you want to come in against. Um, but look at their look at their next five games: Washington, Carolina, Washington, Tampa, Carolina. That is a meat grinder, and so he's going to have to play. Uh, you need him to play. You're not giving up on him, certainly. So unless he wants to sit for another ten days, which I don't think anybody wants to see that, um, then he's got to. You know, you're going to put him in there against a tough opponent, a serious welcome back opponent. So uh, Ovechkin and the Capitals in town tonight. Um, one one sideline for tonight's game, Kirill Marchenko. I love this kind of stuff. Uh, Marchenko made his NHL debut earlier this season against the Pittsburgh Penguins and was absolutely awed by the the experience, the opportunity to play on the same ice as Sidney Crosby. Um, you can only imagine what that must be like as a young hockey player. Um, well, tonight is, I think, even a bigger thrill for him. He's over the moon. It's Alexander Ovechkin who he literally grew up uh, watching on YouTube clips, uh, literally taped his his uh, sticks and laced his skates, uh, as Ovechkin does. Does not do that anymore. He's his own man now, uh, but did that as a young man, uh, just thoroughly, thoroughly enthralled with Alexander Ovechkin and now has the opportunity to play against him tonight. Um, Ovechkin's like 806 goals. He's closing in on Wayne Gretzky's record, which was for years thought to be unassailable. Um, and he's going to get it. I, I sure feels like he's going to get it, if not next year, the year after. Um, and it's pretty amazing. And it, you know what? If, if you're a uh, Blue Jackets fan who's having a hard time getting excited about this game, I feel that. Um, but I would also say, you don't need me to tell you this. If you're a hockey fan, you probably come to this conclusion on your own. You're getting a chance tonight uh, to see an absolutely legendary player. I, I think there's like levels of player in this league. Uh, you hear it thrown around a lot. You hear, um, you know, superstar player. You hear generational talent. 
there are very few people that I think you can you can call legendary players or should call legendary players. Alexander Ovechkin is for sure one of those. Um, so we can talk Ovi. If you're coming to the game tonight, you know what? Just isolate on number eight uh, for a few shifts. And that's, that is a memory as a hockey fan you can carry with you for a very long time. Uh, moments like this should be cherished. He is an incredible talent. Uh, there's, of course, some, for a lot of people, uh, it's a hard guy to cheer for right now, given some of the political ramifications. I get that as well. If you are able to separate and admire someone just purely for their hockey ability, um, that's something that could be in the cards for you tonight. Uh, so it is, uh, we're about seven minutes in here. We'll probably go for an hour or so. I see some uh, people in the queue, which is good to see. Let's go first to Paul. You are in the queue. You are on the stage. Welcome to Front and Nationwide. Morning. How's it going? Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So it's it's very interesting watching Twitter these days. A lot of the uh, only positive CBJ-related uh, content you see these days are about the uh, prospects and the yeah. guys that have the World Juniors right now and what they're doing, and it's pretty incredible. And it is. Uh, it's you can't you can't uh, you can't help but notice what Connor Bedard's doing, obviously. And right, you know, I'm at the point with the, with the Jackets. You know what? Lose the rest of the games. I don't care. It's it's the season's lost. Just let's see if we can get this guy. And aside from the hockey aspect, where he would be like you know a future number one center, so on and so forth. As a franchise nationally, what kind of impact would – could you speak to this? What kind of impact could getting this guy do for the franchise as a whole nationally? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great question. The, the one thing that makes all of this so tough to me is if it were as easy – and you know this, but if it were as easy as just losing every game and for sure getting Connor Bedard, I, you'd do it. Uh, as pathetic as that may sound to some people, you would do it. it. Where they're at right now, they're 31st out of 32 teams. I, I'd like the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure they have. They would have at that point a 13.5% chance of picking number one. So it's still not great. Um, it's not really a an effective way to build a team in that it's not likely to be successful, but hope always springs eternal. If they land Bedard, a big if, it, it, you know, he has the ability from, from talking to speak to people who have watched him play and have compared him to, to previous talent. You know, the thing I keep coming back to with this World Junior, if I may digress for a second, he's 17 years old. Like, he could still play in this tournament for two more years. <laughs> and he is, he is not just excelling, and he's dominating. He's dominating kids two years older than him in this tournament, which, if you understand those age groups, two years is a big difference. We're talking sophomores to seniors. Um, and he is just an electrifying player. If he is as good as everyone says he is, he makes uh, a coach that would not consider coming here as presently constructed uh, consider coming here. He may change the math and change the dynamics regarding an outdoor game at Ohio State. And he obviously changed, I'm just going past the things that are not obvious. He changes the depth chart of this team dramatically. 
Uh, he puts Boone Jenner probably on the wing of the second or third line, which is perfect. He gives this team the best player that they've ever had, better than Panarin, better than Nash, better than Whitney, um, better than Gaudreau. Gaudreau becomes the the 1A superstar here. Uh, that's pretty incredible. That is pretty wild to think about. <laughs> it is. And so that that's why you have a team in Columbus that's never tanked. It sure feels like they're tanking. And I think by the end of the season, you're going to see uh, four or five, maybe six teams that are legitimately tanking to get this guy. They There are teams that would trade literally their entire organization to get this one player. Uh, that's where he's at, which is astounding. So if the Blue Jackets do end up, quote unquote, tanking, are signs of that, would signs of that be um, them sending guys down to the AHL earlier than maybe expected? Well, yeah, season? so it, it, that's a, it's, a, it's such a gray area. And I've thought about writing it. I've got the headline before I've got the story written, the, the 10 degrees <laughs> of tanking. And I don't know if there are 10 degrees or not, but, you know, what it is, what is it to tank? I mean, truly tanking, truly tanking means to intentionally lose every game. And if you talk to the players and the coaches here, that, that is not what is happening. Um, is tanking not doing everything you can to win in the current season? Well, I think you can argue that it is, but that's kind of where they're at. I think most people will agree that's where they need to be at. But it's not like they're sending down, like, sending Corby to the minor leagues because he's got a 9.16 save percentage. And that's too good. That would be tanking. And that was done. I think Pittsburgh sent a guy out way back they wanted to do. Uh, one guy dared to be successful. And so they sent him out. But they're not doing that. But they're, you know, they are... They have embraced the idea that this season is now about whatever percentage chance they have to get Connor Bedard. And again, where they are now, it's 13.5%. If you're the worst team in the league, so if you're Chicago, uh, you've got a 25% chance of landing them. So still only one in four. Um, so that, that's kind of where it's at. Uh, Paul, thanks for the questions. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, let me bring in uh, Andrew Y. Andrew, you are now on Front of Nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, uh, Happy New Year, Porty. Happy New Year to you. Hey, so uh, a couple different things. Um, what I'm worried about is, is you know, don't get me wrong. I, I understand the, um, the the fanatic fanaticism around Connor Bedard. Yep. But but one person doesn't make a team, and the path to there might might destroy the the chemistry and everything else yes that's in the locker room and, and i mean at what point i mean again you're, you're, you we saw this earlier in the season where the guys weren't really competing and now it's getting even it's on ottawa it looked even worse yes. and, and so you worry about the guys just giving up and 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 just injecting connor bedard in there doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're going to turn it on and they're going to be great again so at what at what point do you worry? Because I have two questions here. But what at what point do you worry that that the front office might try to do something to at least stabilize kind of what's going on in the locker room and, and not subject you know people people in the locker room to all of that losing and kind of that mentality? Like in other words, do they make do they make a, a coaching change? Do they switch lineup? Do they send the guys yeah. to 
I well, mean, because yeah. as I was referencing earlier, I just I think they've got to be really careful with this because it is. I get it. You get it. You understand. And your question tells me you understand that this season is not about winning this season. But how much damage can you do um, for a one at best a one in four chance to get Bedard at best? Um, and be very careful with that. If you burn everything down and, and add the player, you still have to build up around the player. Now, honestly, personally, I think they would take that trade if they could, but there's no there's no reason to do that. They're not going to make a, a trade to salvage the season, but I've been saying this for a while, and I, I think it still applies. You can, you can be fixated on Bedard or Fantilli or Leo Carlson uh, or Michkov. They're all very good players. All look to be this looks to be an incredibly good draft, um, but the, the 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 ruling decisions for the rest of the season, it's got to be are your young players developing, and that doesn't mean that they're always going to have success, but are they developing the right way? Are they being developed? And that that to me is the question that has to be asked, and, and kind of determines the fate of of this coaching staff, Brad Larson in particular, is Cole Sillinger regressing? I think you could argue that he is. This has not been a good season at all for him. He has two goals. He's uh, just not the offensively dangerous player that he was. I didn't like, and this has nothing to do with his goal scoring, I didn't like at all a scene a minute into the game in Ottawa where he gets cross-checked in the kidney by... Uh, Derek Broussard and last year would have turned around and given it right back to Broussard and that wasn't there and my, I don't want to say my heart sinks, I'm not that into it but that to me was a, not a good sign at all um, there's just the passion that was there last year is not there, that concerns me and is that, uh, is that on the coach is that strictly on the player that would be the case no matter the coach um, that's just one example is Kent Johnson getting better feels like he is, but would he be getting better at a, at a more sustainable rate and a more long-term rate in, in the American hockey league? Would Kirill Marchenko have benefits from a 35 goal AHL season? Um, Chinikov, like, you know, I understand the problems on the back end with all the injuries, but I think you got to monitor that very, very closely. And, and this isn't, you're not making decisions uh, entirely about winning or losing at the NHL level, but you're making decisions for the for future seasons, um, and that, I think that has to be your your prevailing ideal the rest of the way. And I certainly think they need to reevaluate everything, including the coach, after the season. And if they do add Connor Bedard, they've got to have a very long conversation about is this who is his coach, who needs to be his coach. What is best for this player? Who has a strong enough personality? I'm not even sure what the kid needs, uh, but you're, you're, you're bringing a rock star into the organization. Um, who's the right coach for that? It, it takes, it requires different infrastructure. Um, so I think all of those things have to be monitored very closely. But it's a balancing act. It's, it's not about winning now, but it's, it's about developing the right way and not damaging uh, the young pieces that you, you even if you have Bedard, you got to count. You have to rely on Sillinger, Johnson, these guys for the future. 
they're developing Juracek the right way uh, because of his contract. He's in the AHL. They're not going to burn that first year now that this season's out. Why would they? He's going to develop the right way, and he's having a really good American Hockey League season. Maybe that's what's best for some of these forwards as well. The last question being, I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on it, but I mean, I wanted to be a little more specific, like you were talking about Cylinder. Cylinder was one of the ones I was talking about where you're seeing people regress. But also, isn't it kind of alarming you're seeing, you know, uh, you're seeing like a like a Boquist who who basically comes back and then in the third period, you know, gets gets what two one shift, two shifts of that, and yeah, and, and then you and then also you're seeing peak being set, and, and so. My my worry is I don't know if it's you know if it's not just regression but also just losing uh, I mean the passion you know losing the passion for for the game right now. Yeah, well, yeah, that's part of it too. I don't know what you can say about Bokvist. I mean, he, he was out of the lineup for a long time. That's a bad turnover. Uh, they got him benched in the third. There's a there's a lot to like about that player, but there's also a lot that that worry about defensively certainly that hasn't seemed to get better uh, maybe he just is who he is uh, yeah I, I guess for me I, I want focus to play a number of games after he's back from his injury uh, Blankenberg's going to be back probably next week it's not going to happen later this week now they're being extra careful they're taking their time uh, which they can do Boone Jenner's been skating by the way uh, no timetable there um but yeah, it's uh, listen that blue line. Holy smokes! There, you know, Bjork and Bernie have come up and mostly afforded themselves pretty well. Bjork's a healthy scratch tonight. Uh, he was not very good in Ottawa, uh, but they've got a lot of decisions to make there. There's there's going to be a short term turnover, but there's going to be a major long term overhaul here over the next couple of years with all those first round draft picks. And I don't know where, I don't know where Boakfist ends up after the dust settles there. If he has a spot or not, it's pretty obvious it's going to be Wierenski and Juracek on the top pair next year. Um, after that, who knows? Who knows? I mean, literally, who knows? Because Gabrikov, my sense, I get the sense he's gone at the trade deadline. I, I don't think that's a deal that's going to be reached. I think he's asking for the moon. I think he's right to. He's got him over a barrel. Um, look how bad that blue line is. Look how desperate they are uh, for him. Can they trade him for a first and a third? That's the talk. Same asking price as Savard. Um, I think he's gone. I think chances are he's gone. It's not done yet. But that, that's just the whole thing is going to look dramatically different over the next couple of years. I don't think you want to bring Matichuk, uh, Kuhlemans, Spazel, those guys probably aren't going to be ready next year. It's a little too rushed, way too young, too quick on the back end. Um, but I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see all of those guys uh, matriculate to the NHL. Thanks, Porty. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, thanks for the question. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, let's go to that. W, you are now on the front and nationwide podcast. Go ahead. Hey, Aaron, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Real good. I, uh, I really appreciate your work, and uh, thank you for calling my number here and putting me in the game. I've got a couple good, what I think are good questions for you. Cool. Um, well, thanks. Go ahead. <clears throat> I listened to a, a recent podcast on the Tim Ferriss show where he was talking about, uh, he was speaking to a guy, George Mumford. I'm not sure if you're familiar with George Mumford, but he's the, the mindfulness coach that worked with Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and many others. Okay. Um, and it, uh, as somebody who personally has also benefited quite a bit from meditation in my own life, I just am curious if that is something from an athletic performance perspective that the Jackets have looked into, or do they have, do you know if they have somebody on staff that specializes in mindfulness or, uh, or have any kind of meditation coach? Because your article uh, last week or the week before about Elvis's struggles really, uh, it was kind of right at the same time and really made me think like, wow, this is a guy that's just overthinking and really needs to kind of step back and yeah. uh, learn yeah, how yeah. to in the flow a little more. So I, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn here and I don't know if you'd call it a mindfulness coach or a meditation coach specifically, um, but they do have doctors and uh, sports psychologists available who may Prescribe that as a part of the part of the daily routine. And I know there are some players who do these things on their own. Have been taught to do these things. Um, so I, I don't really have a, a the perfect answer for you, yes or no. I know one thing: the way that these sports clubs operate. If a player came to them and said, "I would like to have this," uh, they would have it by the end of the week. Um, so it is, if it's not available, it could be made available really quickly, but I'm not really sure these players are, uh, in many cases, extremely private and I, I get it uh, about their preparedness. Um, and there are some things they don't divulge, but many of them have a routine, uh, and many of them do include, uh, if it's not meditation, it is mindfulness being present. Um, a lot of them have, have dealt with coaches in the off season that have helped them with things like this too. I don't think we fully, and I want to be careful here too, because I don't want to make blanket statements about people. It is a really different thing to perform athletically on a stage in front of uh, potentially hundreds of thousands of people watching and it being videotaped and, being available to watch in perpetuity that's a different 
level of stress and performance stress that many of us will ever, ever know. Yeah. Um, it is different. It's, um, that's why some guys can do great, great things in practice. And when the big lights come on, they get slower. They get apprehensive. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much the, the mind works into it. And not to keep bringing him up in every context, but the, the one thing you, you hear uh, privately about Connor Bedard, and you can see it in the way he plays, that kid is so damn optimistic and confident that something special is going to happen when he hands the puck. There's just an air of, of course, this is going to be great, and let's go, let's go do this. Uh, but for many, many mortals, it's not that easy. Um, so right. I hope that's not a long-winded way of saying I don't know, but that's kind of the case. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great answer, and I appreciate the information. Uh, uh, my other question is, you know, there's been no shortage of Brad Larson detractors. Um, through all the injuries and lineup changes and new players, uh, young players, he's been kind of the constant, you know, in every game over the last couple of years and rightfully so or not, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, this should be his last season, maybe behind the bench. And uh, the, the impression I got at least from the front office last summer was that they felt this organization, this roster was ready to kind of turn the corner and start competing. Obviously that is like very derailed this year. Um, but if they have that same sense going into next season, it, it feels like it would be natural for them to be on a, a coaching search. So my question is, uh, we all know Jeff Rimmer is really good friends with Barry Trotz. How much pull and sway does he actually have, and can he get Barry Trotz to Columbus? Well, uh, let me answer it in two ways. Jeff Rimmer has enormous pull and sway. <laughs> um, I... I think I can also say with some assuredness that Barry Trotz will not take the job or will not not take the job because of our good friend Jeff Rimmeritis. Um, if he comes here, it's going to be on merit. Listen, Barry Trotz likes Columbus, has friends in Columbus, really good friends in Columbus. Uh, I don't know them, but whenever he would come in with Nashville, he would visit his friends up in Dublin. Um, he is uh, He loves the city. There are some things with Barry Trotz that have to be right, though. Uh, he has a, this is out there, this is me telling anyone's uh, family details. He has a son with Down syndrome. It is very important to him, well, not very, it is the utmost importance to him that the situation be right for his son, first and foremost. Does Columbus have what he needs in that respect? That would be the number mm -hmm. one issue. Um, I think the way that this team is structured right now, it's not very attractive, frankly. Um, they're near the cap. They have major roster flaws if you question the culture of the team. If the lottery goes the way everybody wants the lottery to go in Columbus, then it changes things dramatically. Um, and I think Connor Bedard is the kind of player that coaches would, would, would change a coach's mind, frankly. Uh, that's a chance to win a cup. Not immediately, ultimately. Um, and so Barry Trotz has said he will only, he said he would prefer his next, his last coaching NHL job to be an original six team. Um, I, I can just imagine knowing Barry a little bit. I can, 
I know he's got a good line worked up about Columbus being in the original six if they get Bedard. <laughs> um, I think that changes a lot of it would change would make Columbus a much different destination, not just for coaches but for free agents as well. Um, but I, I as much as Rims is a powerful man, Rims can get <laughs> Rims knows everybody. Rims can get a lot of stuff done. He he's uh, he was at the rink today. He's not even doing the game tonight. He's at the rink today. Um, but, uh, yeah, Barry Trotz isn't coming here or not coming here because of, because of, uh, our buddy Rimmer. All right. Well, I'll refrain from putting all of my trust in Jeff Rimmer, but I really appreciate your time and your answers. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you. And God help us all. If he listens to this, (laughs) thanks for the, thanks for the comment. Let's try G Philip G go ahead. Hi. Um, I, I was wondering, and I, I will preface this by saying the um, episode of the podcast I'm referring to was done before the World Junior Championship, but your fellow um, athletic writer, Corey Pronman, hosts yes. a Friday episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, and he said that there are reservations within the scouting community of the NHL that maybe Connor Bedard may not end up being a center. I understand the Blue Jackets would obviously play him at center because they have to believe if they got him that he would play at center. But Pronman also said that there was about uh, 25% of teams or 20% of teams that would take Fantilli at one because they believe there's better certainty that Fantilli will be an NHL center. How do the Blue Jackets fit on that um, scale? And where do you think they are when it comes to Bedard? Yeah, so there, I've asked uh, Yarmo because you have to ask Yarmo if he's a Bedard guy or a Fantilli guy. And, and when you ask that question, you know you're not going to get a straight answer um, <laughs> because it's uh, that time of that time of year. Listen, I, I think there I would I'll be very interested to hear Corey Promen's post World Junior podcast, and I'd love for him to talk to those same scouts and see if they still share those concerns. Now, Bedard has played mostly on the wing in this tournament. That doesn't concern me in the least because, again, this is a 17-year-old kid that, by all accounts, shouldn't even be at this tournament this year or next year. Most of the kids in the tournament are 19 years old. Um, He can play wherever the hell he wants to play. I think he has, from talking to guys who have trained with him and played with him and know him, um, they think he is an absolute for sure, bona fide center. Um, Fantilli is going to win the size battle every time. He's a big kid. He's getting bigger. Uh, Bedard is 5'10", 185. That is really not small. It isn't big by hockey standards, but it's not small by hockey standards either. Um, I, I, I feel like... I feel like this... If you remember, there's the same conversation we had with, with Kent Johnson, who played on the wing for Canada because they're so strong down the middle. Um, I don't worry, honestly, about Bedard. I have not seen him play in person. I'm not a scout either. So I'd be looking at him in a far different way. I'm going to see him play 
uh, later this month in Regina. Um, I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, I, I, you know, just because he's playing wing at this tournament does not paint him as a wing for me in the NHL. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let the NHL scouts have their opinions. They, they are the professionals, but I don't, I haven't really heard from anybody that I really truly expect that doesn't think he can play center in the NHL. So that's where I would, that's where I would leave that. All right. Um, and one more question also relating to the world junior championship, obviously, uh, Juracek is having, you know, one of the best performances we've seen in a while by a defenseman on team Czechia right now, that's but right. Tvozil is also doing really, really well. And I, I, I heard you say earlier in the podcast that you don't think Svozil is ready for an NHL role. Do you think that's something that is widely, you know, perceived in the um in the organization, or do you think that perhaps this World Junior Championship performance has opened a few eyes and maybe given him a shot at, you know, pl- trying to make the team next year? Uh, yeah. So I'll get a better, I'm going to hopefully get a better about him specifically when I go see him in Moose Jaw later this month. Um, or sorry, in uh, Regina later this month. He's certainly going to come to camp. He came to camp this year, and I think he'll have a he'll get a long look next year. Um, he still has junior eligibility next year. Does that benefit him uh, to do that? These are the kind of questions that will be sorted out next fall. I don't rule out him making the team next year. It just seems a bit of a stretch when you've got. I mean, Kuhlman's is most likely going to turn pro, so probably AHL. Matichuk probably, probably spends another year in the uh, junior system. If Svazel comes out, Juracek uh, is for sure coming up. He's he's in Cleveland right now, I mean, not physically, but with the Monsters right now. So you're going to bring in Svazel and Juracek next year uh, if, if this plays out, if he does make the team next year. And then the year after that, you're going to bring in two more uh, rookies. That is that is quite a bit of youth on the back end. I don't put anything past him, I suppose. That's also the preferred flow of things. Um, I think Swazel's probably a long shot to make the team next year out of camp. But, I mean, that's that's totally up to the kid. And so I don't want to I don't want to marginalize him and act like we know when he's going to get to the NHL. He's going to do it on his own pace and he's going to determine when that happens um it just seems like next year may be a little advantageous but we'll see we'll see thank you um jonathan if you're uh if you're out there and i lost you by all means try to step back in again uh, again donald b says elvis tonight yes let's go over that again quickly elvis Merzlikens is the starter tonight andrew peak after a couple of healthy scratches is back in the lineup uh, Carson Meyer is back in the lineup. Uh, he's in for Eric Robinson, who, of course, got rattled a bit in Ottawa and is day to day with an upper body injury. He skated, Robinson did with Boom Jenner uh, today. Jenner not playing either Blankenberg 
uh, skated with the group, but he is most likely going to be uh, returning next week. So maybe Tampa. There's a Detroit game in there as well. Uh, so that's what the lineup looks like tonight. Uh, let's see. Eric E. says, uh, do you anticipate you see a specialized uh, defensive coach being hired for this team? Well, they have a coach for defensemen in Steve McCarthy. Um, so, no, I don't I don't see them adding staff uh, the rest of the way specifically for that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's all hands on deck right now in terms of that. They're, they're having as much trouble scoring as they are giving up goals now, it seems. Um, Terrence M says, how do you see the center depth playing out next year with Baronkov expected to come over? And how are the current how the current guys have performed so far this year? The draft may also impact next year's lineup of CBJ somehow nab a top guy. Um, so yeah, if they stay where they are at two, they can pick no worse, I believe, than four. Is that correct? Yeah, which gives them a decent chance at a player that could help them immediately. The Russian kids signed for a few years in Russia, but. Um, so let's not bank on that as we play this out. Voronkov is expected to come over. Uh, we've been told the less said about this, less written about this certainly is better. They don't want to inflame things in Russia. But if you look at this team, it does possibly move uh, Roslovic or Jenner to the wing. If Voronkov can play a top nine role, he is a, a big physical player. He's got a little workmanlike, uh, he's got a little Jenner in his game. Loves to put people over the boards, as you've seen. So, you know, short of drafting a player this year, that's really where the defensive or the, the center help is going to come from, Baronkov. Um, so you're still looking at Sillinger, Roslovic, Baronkov, Karali, of course, maybe Jenner, and, you know, who knows what the summer or the trade deadline might hold in terms of moving guys. Um, I don't think they're against trading Roslovic if there's any kind of a market out there. Andrew N says for a potential outdoor game, is Ohio State in the only venue that has been discussed, considered, or would other venues be in play? Cleveland, Cincinnati. You know, I've heard I've heard this kicked about where whenever this comes up, people say, you know, screw it, play at the Cruise Stadium, play at Huntington Field and, and and my answer to all of that is no, 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 no. If you're playing an outdoor game in Columbus, there is one place you're going to play that game, one. And it is one of the great, even if you're not an Ohio State football fan, it is one of the great venues in this country. It might be, I'd have to look at this. Um, and it'd be a good question for people to weigh in on. Is there a more legendary venue in this country that has not, hosted an outdoor game it's one of the last meccas left if i may um if you really think about it in those terms i see it going into these places now that just don't hold any of the reverence or history um you know seattle's getting a game now that's great i nothing against seattle good for them um but it just here meanwhile here is uh here is, you know, Ohio Stadium that somehow can't be figured out here. Um, maybe that's going to change. I, I, I don't want to do it if it's in Cleveland. That's not, 
that is in Columbus. These are the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't want to do it in Cincinnati. I don't want to do it in Crew Stadium. I sure don't want to do it in an old Crew Stadium. I mean, hell, do it in the old Clipper Stadium if we're going to do that. Um, hey, I just, uh, yeah, there's one venue here to do it in. That's, that's how I see it. Um, Jackson B says, what is your assessment of Brad Larson's job as head coach so far? I mean, does anybody get a passing grade here, players or coaches? No. Um, sometimes the ice time mystifies me. Um, but I, I also, yeah, I don't think this is all his, his doing uh, by any stretch. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, Chris B. says, is this the worst Jackets teams you've ever seen? Um, You know what? I answered this on Twitter the other day and said, oh, no. And then I I looked closer at it. I was maybe a little too short with that. This team has the lowest points percentage of any team ever. Um, now we're not even to the halfway point yet, uh, but that still is alarming when you consider this team is close to the salary cap, um, has much better players than they did in some of those years we're talking about where they were awful. Um, so, uh, Jonathan S says, you mentioned that players don't rank, don't rank, but I turned on the Blackhawks versus lightning game the other night. And they are clearly not trying to win. Oh, tank. You're saying they don't tank. They absolutely gave up after Tampa scored their second goal. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, te- teams quit. Teams quit. I think tanking is a management decision, though. I think a team can get demoralized, and I get how Chicago would be. Uh, frankly, I'm seeing it here as well at times. Not every game. Saw it in Ottawa, though. Uh, so Columbus used to get hammered for their contract negotiations. But I think we've become too soft. This is for Patrick D. Other organizations refuse to sign contracts that allow players to walk into UFA status at 27. We sign these contracts constantly. Domi, Roslova, Gavrikov. I understand signing to UFA status if it's a star player with leverage, but these players are not that. Thoughts? Um, well, the Roslovic one for sure. I have to go back and look. Domi is a different guy. I don't think they ever thought of Domi as being a long-term fix here. Um, a fit here, sorry. Uh, Gavrikov, did they not buy a year of UFA from him? Or does this go right up against it? Um, I thought they bought a year. I have to go back and look. Um, yeah, I mean, the the player sometimes is willing to give up salary to get to UFA status early. 
And sometimes the team thinks that that's worth it as well. Um, the Rostovic one for sure stood out. But uh, sorry, drink of water there. Um, but I'm not sure about the others too. I, I, they haven't had an ugly contract negotiation. Lining went pretty smoothly. Wierenski went very smoothly. Uh, Gaudreau, of course, was a UFA. Had all the leverage. Um, so maybe they've gotten a little uh, better, but at, at what cost? At what cost is uh, saving hundred grand or two hundred grand? Um, I think they needed to get a little bit more uh, friendly, but I don't think I don't think they're they're uh, complete pushovers by any stretch. Uh, Ken B says, "What is your assessment of Yarmo? Do we need to make a change to that level?" I appreciate him looking to take swings on big free agent deals. But as this organization stalled out on progressing forward, well, it sure looks like they've stalled here uh, this year. You have to really squint to see any form of progress. Uh, I felt bad for the the broadcasters, broadcasters the other night who on air were asked, uh, what's a positive coming out of this game in Ottawa? And it was kind of like crickets. We'll get back to you tomorrow. I mean, what do you say? It's uh, pretty, pretty dark. Um, I think you'd feel a lot better if this team was as competitive as it was last year and if the young players showed as much promise as they did last year. So I'm not sure what's in John Davidson's mind right now in terms of, you know, does he have his coach? Does he have his GM? Does he have his organization in place as he wants it? Um, Are these things being considered? Should they be? Big questions, tough questions. Not questions he would probably answer publicly. Uh, Don M says, I feel like the team has big issues with playing a balanced game. The harder they focus on stopping opponents from scoring, the more they struggle to score themselves. The better they play offensively, the more goals they let in. I feel like there's no middle ground. Is this a coaching issue or a confidence issue? Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I completely agree with that. I do think I do think they became uh, too loose. Um, when Tortorella left too loose defensively and tried to start scoring with people, um, sort of a line A approach to hockey and look at all the goals they gave up last year. I think they've tried to dial that back a little bit and have struggled immensely. I just, I just think you take the number one defenseman out of the mix. Really your only offensive defenseman. Wierenski out of the mix. You take, you know, your number one center. Eh, is Boone, Boone Jenner's not that maybe with too many other teams, but he's still important to you. You take Voracek, their leading point producer, out. Firepower, line is just not playing well right now. It looks sadly closer to his first year in Columbus than last year. Um, it's not firing right now. Um, so I don't know if it's a systemic thing that they can't do one without the other. I just think they're not very good right now because they're pretty well beat up. Uh, Tom C says, do you think the league would even allow Bedard to go to Columbus? They protect their brand and look at all generational franchise stars and where they went. McDavid, Oilers, Matthews, Toronto, Crosby, Penguin, Ken and Ave. They always seem to send elite talent to the larger brand teams or ensure the odds stay in those teams' favor. Well, I'm not sure you would say that Edmonton is a 
is a major brand like you know Rangers and Toronto and Montreal. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't believe that the lottery is fixed. I don't. I think I know people throw that around all the time. I've seen no proof of it. You know, it. Um, yeah, it, it it seems conspiratorial to me. I get it. I, I get why people feel that way. Uh, but I haven't seen any proof of it. So until then, I'm not going to suggest that they decide who can and who can't go where. Uh, let's go to Jonathan R. He stepped up to the stage. Uh, about 10 minutes to go here. Jonathan, go ahead. You're on front of Nationwide. Hey, Oops. Jonathan. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Good, man. Go Good. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about get your thoughts kind of on the draft lottery itself, uh, since that seems to be the only source of positive <laughs> yeah. uh, feelings from Blue Jackets fans right now. Uh, so I was looking at at a tankathon where it shows like all the different odds, and I think it's pretty crazy that the first team that has this has better odds of picking at their spot than of of dropping in the draft is the pick is the seventh pick. So before that, picks one through six, you have a better chance of picking behind where you place. And and I get like that they're concerned about tanking, even though yes. there's tanking that goes on. I mean, so so they, they don't want that. But at the same time, do you think that that the current path where where you're number three and your chances uh, are number uh, Jack's number two, but like I was looking at number three, too, uh, yeah. they have a like basically 11% chance of 11.5% chance of one, 11.5% chance of two. Uh, and then like a 70% chance of, of later on after that. So right. uh, do you think that that's real? Do you think that it's creating too little opportunity for teams near the top to win it? Um, the teams that actually like really desperately need those top picks? Uh, or do you think that it's relatively balanced to achieve what the NHL wants it to achieve? Yeah, well, it's yeah. a great question, and it's the reason why the format of the lottery has changed so much through the years, because this is a constant yin and yang across the league. Um, is it too hard to get the number one overall pick for the worst teams? And some people years ago thought it was. Some people think that now. Um, and then it goes back the other way, where there are teams that finish, on, frankly, like the Blue Jackets typically have in that you know, 8 to 12 from the bottom range and never, never sniff it. And I think the idea was to open it up for more teams to add more excitement to the lottery and, and frankly, to keep teams, the Buffalo Edmonton season, when they, when it was McDavid and Eichel and those two teams, especially Buffalo made it painfully clear that they were tanking. That is just seen as so distasteful by so so many people in the league and to to intentionally lose games, which to so many people is against the spirit of of competitiveness and sportsmanship and all these things. And to be rewarded by for that by getting a player that changes your franchise's um, fortunes for a generation is I think that's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So they've They've tried to find a balance between, you know, just saying like that, that year with Edmonton and, and Buffalo it was uh, we're either going to get Eichel or we're going to get McDavid because we're going to be the worst team in the league. 
plain full stop. And they want to get away from that. They don't want, they don't want it to be that cut and dried because teams will do it. Um, Pittsburgh kind of invented this with the Lucamu year. Um, and so there's a lot of people that, that, that they've tried to find a balance in both directions. Have they gotten right? I'm not sure there is a right. Um, I know if you're the Blue Jackets this year, you would much rather go back to the old days. I think there were some years in there where the worst team in the league had like a 57% chance of picking one, and you could fall no further than two. Uh, and in those years, of course, Columbus never finished uh, with the worst record. Uh, the Ryan Murray year they did. That that speaks to their luck, too. That, that year's draft was Murray and Yakupov, which nobody wanted to be at the top that year. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's um, it's a balance, and they've tried to find the right balance. Even a couple of years ago, they changed it. Now only... Because I, I don't know where the Rangers came up from to get uh, Lafreniere, or is it Caco uh, to get as high as they did to get Caco? Um, but they went way up the board. And I think the most you can move, only the top 11 teams this year uh, can can win the number one pick. Um, when, when that's fine. You can only move up 10 spots. I think in the old days, the most you could do is move up. I forget what it was. You could you could move up no more than six or seven spots, and you're going to not to go down more than two. So they, they tweak it every couple of years based upon people's feelings about it. So. Sure. So then, then I mean, and while I can appreciate that in some context, like even with what the current state is, Chicago is very clearly tanking with with the decisions that were made and before the season even began with moving the players that they did, it was apparent before day one started that, that they were tanking. So it seems like when the generational talent is there, you're still going to end up with this kind of thing. Uh, even if it's not as apparent with Columbus and Anaheim, they're just both maybe playing terribly. But once we get to the back half of this season, do you really think that there's going to be a lot of pressure on any of these teams to win? I would, yes, very much not. Yeah, no, I think. Honestly, I think it's going to go the other direction where other teams are going to join them and trying to get down there. Um, Arizona specifically, Philadelphia perhaps. So by so by doing it this way, do you think that that incentivizes more teams to tank, in fact, as opposed to less? Because the well, teams I, that, 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 I don't know if it's the system that does. I think it's the Bedard that does. I think it's the numbers. Frankly, the numbers are probably the best argument against it. Because really, if you've got the chart in front of you, the difference between fifth worst and third worst is rather minuscule. Is it like four percent total? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's. Let me pull it back up. Sorry, it's. Um, yeah, so so at at like it's like three percent, three and a half percent, five percent for to get one overall from like eleven yeah. to ten nine there. So I mean, so difference. It's a difference, um, but honestly, I, I think it's the lust of the player. And and to be clear, it's not Bedard is, is the guy. He is the guy. But this is a really good draft and people are as excited to get Fantilli and Carlson. There's some there's like eight or ten guys in this draft that were that would probably how to how to say that the top eight or ten guys in this draft um, there's probably only one or two guys in last year's draft that would have joined 
Like this year's draft is just a fun bet. I think that's what's driving him more than than a flawed system. Sure. Is there any way? I don't know if if, if Corey Pronman has done it yet, but I'd love to see like maybe some stuff on who the guys are because we've all heard like the top uh, three or four names. But I'd love to hear maybe the next five five six guys just because again no guarantees of where we'll pick. Yeah. yeah. That's all. There's there's plenty of time for that, and it's going to come into more focus. People have their amateur scouting meetings uh, in the spring, and usually uh, lists tend to crystallize a little bit more then. Awesome. Thanks, Porter. Uh, let's go to Hannah R. Hannah, you are on Front and Nationwide. Hey, hi there. Um, question, question for you kind of off the wall here. Uh, family of mine gave me have any other reading recommendations for Blue Jackets fans? And also, when are you going to write a book? <laughs> um, you broke up there a little bit. Did I hear you say something about Dave King's book? Uh, the chill factor. Uh, oh, chill factor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I lost it there. Um, well, so real quick, Dave King, the original Blue Jacket coach, has a book. Uh, just wrote another book. His um, he wrote a, a book years ago about his experiences coaching in Russia, which were incredible to read. Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, hang on a second. Loose pucks and. Sent me a copy, wrote a nice note in the front of it. Uh, here it is. Loose pucks and ice bags. How and why the game is changing by Dave King. Now, Dave King, many of the current today Blue Jackets fans may not remember Dave King. He was the first coach of the Blue Jackets, an incredibly impressive uh, person. It was a true uh, honor to know him even a little bit and a credit to the organization. Um, he is uh, a hallowed figure in in canada and super respected one of the great coaches that that country has produced and he wrote a book i'm halfway through it full of great insights uh such an intellectual guy too and and really loves the global game of of uh, hockey which makes it which makes his perspective all the more interesting um as for me writing a book that is certainly something that is going to happen um i've had uh yeah, how to say it? Talk with people that can make that happen, and it will happen. It's a matter of the right time. When is the right time to strike? Is it 25 years? Is it 30? Is it when I retire from this? Um, and what form should it take? Should it just be a collection of of uh, crazy stories? And there are plenty of those. Or uh, should it be about a specific season if this team, if this franchise, ever gets it together? And, truly makes a run because that is that's the incredible thing is how really great the fans are here in a city where the team still they won one playoff series they still have not taken this town on a playoff run imagine when that happens um so it, it, it i wouldn't say it's in the works but it will it is going to happen and it'll be fun it'll be fun i might need a good lawyer too <laughs> Well, great. Count me among the people that will be pre-ordering it. Thanks for all the work you do. Love well, it. thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll go one more. We get uh, Nick SNQ. Nick, you are on Front and Nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, Porty. Hey, man. Hey, Porty. Happy New Year to you. Thanks, buddy. 
just a quick question. Could there be an argument to be made that the Blue Jackets have too many people to develop on this roster, both the current players and the kids that could come up and play next year that that in and of itself is going to weigh down the success of this franchise is that there's 12 or 13 kids that have to get developed all at the same time. Um, and there's just no, no way as you look around the league, you don't have other teams dealing with that issue that uh, they've got better, a better sprinkling of, kids that are being developed and clearly seasoned pros and we're going to lose Nyquist this year. We're going to probably lose, as you point out, Gabrikov. Um, we're, we're losing more of the seasoned talent and we have way too many people. It's just not possible to develop everybody. Yeah. So they're getting too young too quick. I mean, I think that's some, it's something you, you think about. I think it's something you used to worry about more than you do now. Um, like the the one, so there's a couple of things I, I I think about on on questions like this. If you look around the league, it doesn't. It used to be the whole 300 games rule uh, before you made a judgment on somebody, and I think that is there's still a lot of maturity, but they didn't used to develop players in the NHL, and they do now. Um, you see players all over the league that they don't wait for 300 games to become impact players you know. So, like, you hate to say it, but a player like Bemstrom, I gotta look up how old Bemstrom is, because I always think he's older than he is. Um, but just as an example, and I, I bring him up because I was, this is a guy we were talking about this uh, specifically just a week or so ago. Um, you know, he's he's not old by any stretch. He's 23. And so there's still room for improvement there. But in the NHL anymore, these guys that have played 127 NHL games, they're not still developing. They're not still still getting better, but there's not still waiting to show that they belong in the NHL. You kind of know, and you know pretty quickly. Um, let's look at all you got to do is like look look 15 years ago or 20 years ago at the end-of-season rookie scorers. And the leading rookie scorer used to have 33 or 16 goals. And now every year, you see guys put up crazy numbers as young players. Like, they just doesn't take... You kind of know sooner now than you used to know because the opportunities are there for guys. So some of these guys, it's sort of you feel like you're still developing, and you are. But the reason you are is because they haven't gotten it yet. Um, so Dylan just kind of parked a little bit here, and you'd like to see more this year. Maybe, maybe he has a rough year this year and just sort of relaunches next year. Look at Liam Foodie. I mean, technically you're still developing this player, but are you really developing him if he's playing? on the third and the fourth line here. It still hasn't scored in, in the NHL regular season. Um, I'm not sure that's development or if that's just waiting for them to get it. Uh, and some of these guys, frankly, aren't going to get it. Um, so they have a lot of young guys. And one of the frustrations covering this organization is they never 
had that stretch with Felino and Atkinson uh, where they kept guys around. Jones, they, you know, they had the core here for several seasons. But they're kind of back in that groove now or for years. It just the thing they hung their hat on every year was youngest team in the league, which is kind of a cop-out, and it, it just kind of buys you more time or an excuse for not being competitive today. At some point, you've got to get there. And and so, can the young players take you there? If there's too many of them, probably not. Uh, but there's also a, a real strength in, you know, the come grow with us philosophy where you're bringing these guys all along at once. I, I don't think it's impeding anybody, put it that way. Thanks, Porty. Appreciate your perspective. Yeah, well, thanks for the questions. And thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll do this again next week. We went a little long this week. Let me go through here quick and see if we've got any anything that uh, – um, I, I got a lot of text questions we didn't get to, and I apologize for that. Um, the CBJ is from Scott R. The overvalued young guys. Um, I think they do sometimes. I think they do. We were just talking today. Sonny Milano's back in town. Uh, today they ended up giving him away, um, so not an overvalue there, but not a great uh, pick. Um, Johnny H says so. Mallory, Courtney, and Hannah are all dudes. Who would have thought? I don't know where Johnny's going with that. Uh, who are some guys in Cleveland who could come up over the next couple of seasons and make an impact? Uh, how far does Foz left to the World Juniors? This is from no no name dude with a great green dot. Um, well, your check will be here next week for sure. A guy I think you should see here by the end of the season is Justin Richards, Todd Richards' son, um, who switched his contract from AHL to NHL um, this year. He, he kind of changed his deal. So he can come up to the NHL. That's awesome for him. Um, most of the guys are here. They got a ton of guys that are here. Um, so... Yeah, as Fossil as you know, his uh, is he a next year guy or the year after guy? We shall see. Um, Scott R says, "What becomes of Corby? He's clearly outperforming Elvis this year. Does he still get moved or leave the organization? Realizing that Elvis's contract is hamstringing us, and Tarasov is waiting the wings. It's a great question, and I don't know how they solve it. They cannot trade Elvis right now. No one's taking that. They have to rehabilitate Elvis. I'm not sure what becomes of Corby." They think they can get something from at the trade deadline. Maybe this year, maybe this year, fourth year in a row we've said this, maybe this year is the year that they trade him. Um, and they may come to regret that because he may be the best professional goalie they have right now. Although Tarasov, as you mentioned, is for sure in the future. Anyways, uh, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back at this next week. Uh, you're the greatest. We appreciate it. Front Nationwide Live again very soon. Take care.